please be seated. As you're seated, please turn your Bible to the book of John, John chapter 6, John chapter 6, and today we'll be looking at verses 22 through 35. So John chapter 6, verses 22 through 25. Uh, last week we started a series on, on seeing Jesus in his own words. How is it that Jesus describes himself, who he is, what he's done by his seven I am statements. Seven times that Jesus says I am and then something. And we're looking at those seven to see um, not only who does he say he is for the focus of our worship, for the focus of our understanding, uh, but also see who he is so that we better understand who God has called us to be. Because every time he says something about us, about himself, he draws us to faith and he draws us to see something about our own calling in this life. It is a ground for us of identity. It's really easy to get disconnected with our identity, who we are, who we're created to be because of sin, because of the fall, because of those things. And Jesus says these seven things to remind us who he is, that we can remember who we are and who we're called to be and are called to worship. So today we're going to be focusing on John chapter 6. This is the first of the I am statements, which is, I am the bread of life. Uh, but would you please stand with me uh, for the reading of God's word. We'll read verses 22 through 35. This is God's word. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got on the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is God's word. May add his blessing to the reading of it. Please be seated. Well, Jesus in our passage say, says that he is the bread of life. And it's a pretty straightforward statement, isn't it? Uh, you know, first of all, we can think about some things we know about bread. I mean, first of all, it is basic to any diet. 
It was basic to most diets around the world, or at least many, many diets around the world. Um, it was basic in Israel as he was there. Maybe if he, if he was in China, maybe he'd say something like he was the rice of life, since it's fundamental there. But, but we know that many of our diets, that bread is one of those basic things. And when Jesus said he is the bread of life, he's getting to a basic need that we have. Second thing that we know about bread is that it can be very filling. Has anybody ever been to the Olive Garden? Anybody ever been to Bonefish? Right? You know this because before they bring you your meal, what do they bring you? Bread, right? And this loaf of bread, and if you're like me, you've probably eaten so much bread that when the meal comes, you don't have any room for it or you leave stuffed. So sometimes I wonder if it's part of the tactic of making you leave, making you feel like you've gotten your money's worth out of going uh, to dinner there. But we know that bread is filling. Now, both of these come to us in a spiritual way, and that's why Jesus focuses on himself being uh, the bread of life, that Jesus is basic to a fulfilled life. Jesus is also filling in a spiritual way. He's saying, and he says, as we see in verse 35, that those who come to him will never go away hungry, and they will never be thirsty. Something fundamental to human nature is a desire of personal satisfaction. In fact, we use the word hunger and thirsty to describe people who are aspiring after things. You might know a person who's hungry for success or a person who's thirsty for power. Maybe you can describe parts of your own internal longings of, of something you hunger for or, or, or that you've thirsted for in its fulfillment. It's because there's something deep inside of us that won't um, rest until that satisfaction is met. And to be thirsty or to be hungry is to indicate that something is missing, that something is wrong. Do everybody ever hear the word hangry? Anybody ever get hangry, right? Hangry is that I am so hungry that I'm angry about it. I'm so hungry that I'm irritable and I'm hard to get along with. You can be hangry. I wonder sometimes if there's a lot of people who are spiritually hangry. Maybe people in this room. You know, there's a, there's a lack of, of fulfillment. There's something missing. And so it affects all the people around them. Maybe it's guilty feelings. Maybe it's a sense of worthlessness or lack of purpose. Maybe it's no sense of the mission or why am I here. Maybe it's the loss and lack of a community. And all because there's this lack of spiritual fulfillment. There's a host that falls out of that of poor decisions and making other people's life difficult. They're spiritually hangry. Now, where do, where do you go when you feel this emptiness? Where do you go? What's your retreat place? How do you satisfy it? And what Jesus says here is that he can satisfy. We've heard that before, right? We've heard Snickers can satisfy um, this candy bar, which if you miss your meal, supposedly you're supposed to be able to eat, and it's just as good as candy as, as a full meal. Well, it isn't. I, I've tried it. <laughs> and it has its downside to it. But when Jesus says that he can satisfy, that he can fill, he's saying he does something that nothing else in this world can do. Notice he, says, he doesn't say that he gives out the bread of life, right? He says he is the bread of life. I am the bread of life. This is part of his identity, who he is. 
And that's why when you have Jesus, you have true satisfaction. He fills. Now, we want to look today at three reasons why we miss out on being filled, taken from our passage today, and how Jesus answers each one of these. The world, this world around us, it cannot satisfy us, not, at least not in the deepest longings of the soul. And neither does the world satisfy us in a way that will carry us into glory, into heaven. There could be a lot of people who are satisfied in this life, but unsatisfied, but go on to be unsatisfied in hell. But Jesus can satisfy us eternally. We need him. So as we're going to look at today is three ways we miss out on being filled and how Jesus fills those who come to him. The first thing we want to look at is um, being unsatisfied by Christ because we want too little. Because we want too little as compared with wanting things that really satisfy Now, this I am statement comes on the heels of one of Jesus' great miracles. If you jump back to the beginning of of John chapter 6, you see the story of him feeding 5,000. Feeding the 5,000. That's 5,000 men, so it could include women and children to be on top of that. And so we see it's an enormous amount of people. And if you look at verses 11 and 12, you see that this 5,000 plus women and children ate and were satisfied from just five loaves and two fish. And the multiplication of those loaves and fish resulted in um, filled bellies there. And as a response to this great miracle, if you look down at verse 15, the people wanted to make Jesus king. They wanted to make Jesus king. The human heart is is drawn to someone who could provide abundance, is drawn uh, to somebody who can provide security. And this is something that really hasn't changed in the history of the world People often vote for president based on the economy. People can vote for entitlements. Who is going to give me the the best standard of living? Who will provide for my security? Who will give me bread? I'll vote for him. Politicians know this. Politicians can get votes by by filling the right wallets. Um, Political leaders have led nations to war over the promise of security and abundance at the result of that. It's not strange that people would want to make Jesus king after provision of this bread, but Jesus didn't come to be that kind of king. He didn't come to be an earthly king. He didn't come to fill bellies with bread. He didn't come to bring material prosperity. He came for something better. And because Jesus wouldn't be pulled away from his mission, he leaves that group. Right after this feeding of the 5,000, um, his disciples leave on a boat, he walks on the water, and the people end up going, looking for him. And that's where we picked up in our story today, starting in verse 22, because they go on a search for him. And when they find him, Jesus digs deeper in the feeding of the 5,000. He digs deeper to show the spiritual meaning. As they've come searching for him, one of the first things he does is to show their motivation in doing this all-out search. We see this in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So on this big search they went in order to find Jesus, they did so on account of him being an endless source of bread for their stomach. 
if just they could have that, control it, bottle it up, market it. I mean, they would never be hungry ever again. What Jesus shows them is they're missing the point in just focusing on the material. Their lives should be about God, but they're making it about their stomach. Verse 27, Jesus says, Do not work for food, for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. He shows us of the, of the two kinds of word, food that we might work for, um, the, the uh, food that perishes, the food that we need to eat. Yes, we need to work, but the primary work that we're going to do is, and, and always keep in mind, is to know that uh, spiritually that we're right with God. We're working to a relationship with him and, and walking in obedience to him. That's the food that endures to eternal life. Now, we're, we're not so different from the crowds here hungering for security, but we're missing out on true spiritual satisfaction. What happens when we uh, feel empty? We, we try to fill ourselves, and, and oftentimes we settle for far too little. Fulfillment can be very elusive. Just when we think we found the right thing, it disappears. There are destructive things that people try to use to fill themselves, things like drugs and alcohol and illicit sex, Some people think that I can be filled if I would just be myself and do my thing. And as a result, they abandon marriages, redefine gender, break off relationships with family. Some absorb themselves in things that end up being hollow and empty. Work, sports, video games, scrolling through page after page of social media, grades, amusement, entertainment. One author wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. You know, about replacing spiritual fulfillment with empty entertainment. Now, they might be fun for a time, important for a time, good for a time, but after a wasted hour, a wasted day, a wasted summer, or even a wasted life, you know, we wonder where our time went. It can lead to its own dissatisfaction. The Christian life is about finding spiritual fulfillment in Jesus Christ, a fulfillment that's deeper than anything that the world has to offer. The Bible is full of warnings about looking in the wrong places to find them. Isaiah 55 is a good one. Isaiah 55 verses 1 and 2. The prophet uh, speaks to the people and says this. He says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself. And rich food is calling them to a spiritual feast that's received by faith. This is a warning. John chapter 6 is a warning not just to coast through life, not to be oblivious to the deeper and more spiritual things of life. Why make more money? Why have more kids? We're never to forget there is a judgment to come. Here's the thing that Jesus says, it is good to be filled when you're filled with the right thing. That's what he promises to do, to fill with the right thing. You know, if, if you've ever seen your doctor and your doctor has talked to you about losing weight, if you've read anything online about it or whatever, you know, we're reminded that, that a good diet requires us to eat the right things. And if you eat the right things to begin with, and you're full satisfied with that, you won't eat the bad things later. If you eat healthy, um, you know, and be filled, um, and 
you know, there, there, there's less room for the unhealthy things. That's why we're supposed to put like half of our plate is supposed to be green vegetables, um, you know, to fill up on those things before we eat the other bad things. You know, it's why breakfast really matters, we're told. You know, eat healthy, because if you don't start off right, then you'll eat unhealthy through the day. And, and snacking is one of those things that keeps us from eating well and, and eating good, healthy things. And as we do that, you know, we're, we remember that, that we have more energy through the day. You know, I, I know when I eat the wrong things, like that big old Snickers bar I talked about earlier, I mean, I can feel really good for about an hour. And then after that, there's just the crash that comes after that. You know, you may get that high, but in the long run, it doesn't work out well. But you eat healthy, you eat well, yeah, you know, you may not get that sugar rush at the beginning, but over the long run, there's more energy to do the things that we're called to do. Now, there's a, there's a parallel that happens in spiritual life. Some of this is true for you and I, for our kids and our culture, that being full helps us to do, and have the energy to do the things that God has for us. Being empty or, or filling up with the wrong things, it kills energy, leaves us spiritually sick, keeps us focused on ourselves, focused on our own sinful passions, rather than on the things that really matter. Loving God, loving our neighbor, the things that God has for us. I think if Jesus would look at our generation, he would say, your generation is so self-absorbed. Instead of caring for the needs around you, you get focused on filling yourself up. And you leave out the things that need to be done in love and care for others. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. Come, be filled, and give your life in service to others. And once you're filled, when you're filled with me, you know that you can give to others with a, out of a satisfied heart. Filled by Christ. And that overflow, giving to others. If we're trying to draw from the world, we'll never feel full, never have anything to give. And so why follow Jesus? Why obey him? Because of material prosperity or because only he can satisfy the human soul. And Jesus warns us about making that bad trade of loving food and wealth, sex and power rather than and above loving him. Don't desire too little. Desire what can truly satisfy and remember that you'll only find it in Jesus. So what's the second way that we miss out on truly being filled and satisfied in this life? The second thing we want to look at is working too hard. Let's see this especially in verses 28 and 29. Working too hard rather than finding satisfaction by faith in Christ. Verse 28 and 29 is interesting that the people want to know what work uh, they can do to be filled like this. Look at verse 28. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Maybe you've asked yourself that. What do I need to do to be truly happy, to be truly filled, to, to know that I'm truly pleasing God? And then Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. You can see it's redirection that Jesus does here. They, they, they want to do the right things so that God will prove them, right? What does Jesus say? The most important thing you can do is to believe. You see that redirection. That's there. They, they, they want a checklist of, of things that they need to do. And if just they could do the right checklist and they're going to be okay, then, then God will accept their works. We'd like to think that checklists are easy, right? If, if we just do enough good things, then I'm going to be happy and fulfilled, right? But think about the checklists that people have that think will make them happy. The checklists that people often have just don't. They can't satisfy 
Not in the spiritual sense. If just those people would invite me to be part of that group, then I'd be satisfied. If I could have a boyfriend or girlfriend, or if I could get married, then I'd be satisfied. If just people would accept me the way that I am, then I'd be satisfied. If just I can make enough money, well, then I'd be satisfied. If just I could get that promotion, well, then I'd be satisfied. If just I could build my business big enough, then I'd be satisfied. If just I could have that bigger house or boat or nice car, well, then I'd be satisfied. If just I could retire and then take it easy, then I'd be satisfied. You know, what's, what's the thing that's on your checklist? Well, none of those things may be bad, they won't fill you. They won't fulfill you. And when you have a checklist, it can be a big burden. And we miss out on what God is offering to us right now. How many, how many people have sacrificed their integrity, their purity, their family, their compassion and love just for the sake of getting something checked off on their checklist? And so when Jesus says we need to believe, you know, he, he's, he's saying it for the salvation of our souls. He's showing it to us to, to focus our mind and our heart on the right thing. It's, and something far better than a checklist. Far more amazing than a checklist. We can have a religious checklist as well. Just I obey God's commands. If I can serve the church, if I can give enough money, if everyone can see how spiritual I am, well then, you all know that God is pleased. Well, this can be just as bad. Because they're spiritual, they can have more power as well. And outward behaviors without a change in heart are neither pleasing to God, nor they to bring fulfillment or assurance. But Jesus calls us to belief. Jesus calls us to faith. And it's an amazing thing. It's a great thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's also an easier thing, but it's also a harder thing. Think about it with me for a minute. It's, it's easier because it doesn't create a burden of endless and unfulfilling checklist of just finding the next thing that I think is going to fill and satisfy me. And go to Christ. And go to Christ is my one thing. But it's also harder because believing is you're called to submit your whole life unto the Lord Jesus. Believing is called to him as a person. He says, I am the bread of life. It's called to him as a as as a person, find our identity in him. It's harder because it's a relationship of love and you never know what somebody that you love will ask you to do. You never know when somebody that you love how you'll have to set aside your own worldly ambitions and to serve. Whether it's changing diapers, fixing houses, sitting by a bedside, you know, these are things that are not exactly part of a checklist but they're part of a relationship. They're part of love. And when we love, it's easy, right? We don't know what Christ will call us to. But when the love is there, the obedience to him is easy. It's easier because if you believe, if you put yourself under the lordship of Jesus Christ, it is satisfying because you know the one who's loved you. You know the one who's directed you. You know the one who's called you. Here's the thing, that part of our sinful resistance to God is to insist in seeking our own satisfaction. Seeking our own satisfaction. God says, find your satisfaction in me. Trust in me. And the sinful heart says, no, I don't trust you. I don't want what you offer. And I'm going to go do my own way. I'm going to go do my own thing. That's part of our sinful resistance to God. The crowds are treating Jesus like he's a vending machine. 
Just they do the right things, then he'll be happy. But you know what that does when we treat God like that? It keeps him at a distance. Just I do the right things, and he's going to be happy with me. But God wants to be involved with your life. That's why Romans 12.1 reminds us in this appeal. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. See, God doesn't want your checklist. I mean, God wants you. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to believe in him. He wants you to obey him. And you'll never find true satisfaction without submitting yourself to him. In every way, you need the Lord. That's why Jesus says that our work is to believe in him. You need to stop trying those other ways, whether they're religious or financial, career, relational, and accept him. If you want to try to be fulfilled in other way, if you want to try to be fulfilled in any other way, you'll miss out on him and what he offers. He has done the works that God requires of us. And what happens is we believe in him, all his works become our works, and we even enter into the reward of his works. Our sins go to him. His righteousness goes to us. That's our justification by faith. We're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. He's really calling us to himself to believe and to be saved. As Romans 3, 28 says, For we hold that one is justified, forgiven, cleansed, accepted by God, that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Forgiveness and the acceptance of God starts with faith in Christ. So we miss out on Christ by wanting too little. We want the world and, and not God and what God has to offer. We miss out on, on, on being filled by, by working too hard, by trying to get something ourselves when Jesus offers that satisfaction by faith. And the third thing we want to look at is we miss out on being filled by worrying too much. We're going to look at verses 30 through 33. And we see God as provider. So in verse 30, we see they don't like what Jesus is proposing. They said to him, then, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Basically, they're saying, prove it, Jesus. I mean, prove it that we should believe in you. And they don't believe him. It can be looked at as just another way to get more food out of him, right? I mean, they're trying to manipulate him. And they do it by going back to the story of Moses if you remember or recall the story of Moses and Israel in the wilderness, that they were in the wilderness for 40 days, and over that 40 days, as Moses is their leader, Moses their prophet, without any food, that God provided for them food for those 40 years. They didn't have, food, they didn't have their own crops. They didn't have their own refrigerators big enough to, or semi-tractors to bring with them. God provided food daily for them through the leadership of, of Moses. It's called manna, right? It was a bread-like substance. God also provided meat. God also provided water. They, they wouldn't have made it 40 years through the wilderness without God's help in that. And so in verse 31, they say, basically, Moses provided food for us for 40 years. Jesus, you gave us food once. Why do we set aside Jesus, or why would we set aside Moses and believe in you? The things that you did the other day, they're just not enough. I see a lot of manipulation in this. But Jesus will not be manipulated. He's not going to play the game. And so he focuses on real spiritual issues. And he does it by focusing on two misconceptions. 
The first he deals with is the source of the miracle. Look at verse 32. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. You know, again, the miracle, the source of the miracle wasn't Moses. It was God. God provided for them all that time in the wilderness. And the people here are looking for God to do the exact same thing, just to provide them literal bread. God is providing the same thing. He's providing bread, but he's providing them a spiritual bread in Jesus Christ. God has a new work to do. And they're missing out on what God is doing to fulfill this. We realize that when we look for God's work, he may accomplish that work in a new way. Sometimes we're often looking for a repeat of the past, of what he's done in the past. And we miss out on how God is revealing his power now in the moment. What they should have seen is it was Jesus. That's how God was answering this right now in front of them, in front of their face. Not only does he deal with the misconception of the source of the miracle, but he also deals with the misconception of the kind of bread that God wants to give. Moses gave manna. It was a supernatural gift, but it was a material gift. And what Jesus points out here is that God has now given true bread. And that true bread is himself coming down to to give life. Jesus Christ has come down from heaven to give life to all who would believe in him. Jew and Gentile. God is the giver of this. And so Jesus is this once only, but the once is enough, satisfying bread that comes from heaven. That's because we can keep coming to him. And he keeps satisfying. We, we continually, uh, uh, through our union with him, through faith in him, that's how we feed on him. And he satisfies. And he meets our needs. We don't need to go find new bread to make new money to buy a new loaf or to start trying all kinds of different food. But we can and should continue in Jesus' inexhaustible provision for us. Now, when we worry, we fail to see the thing that is right in front of us. So the people wanted ongoing bread. But Jesus is right there offering himself. They're so worried about their bellies that they, they fail to see how their whole self could be filled by Christ. Doesn't worry do that to us. Instead of seeing what God has provided, we look to ourselves to solve our own problems. We worry about the future. We fail to realize that God will provide what we need along the way, and and we fail to pray. Instead thinking, I just need to act. I just need to move. You can think of some of the things that we worry about. When we think about the things we worry about, sometimes we add to that worry by thinking that obedience to God won't work out. We worry that obedience to God will leave us short. Think about the area of forgiveness. Is there someone that you really need to forgive? Well, if you, you know, will really help to forgive them, or will people take advantage of you? We worry about that. Instead of doing what God calls us to do and forgive, or, or the calling to, to, to make him peace, live in peaceable life like the Bible calls us to. Maybe you think you need to lose your temper to get people to change. If you don't yell and get angry and ugly about it, you think your spouse or you think your children or your coworkers are never going to change. Will peaceable spirit really work as God commands us? Sexual purity and God's command in that. Will God bless your sexual purity? 
or you miss out on having a genuine relationship. We, you know, is it something that you're willing to trust God in? Or giving. You know, if you give as, as God calls you to give, will you still have enough or will you become poor? And as we worry about that, we don't do what God calls us to. Or even the Sabbath day. He's called to, to come worship him on the Lord's day. You know, we worry that we're not going to get those jobs done. We're not going to have that time with our family that we want or do the vacation we want and still be able to honor the Sabbath. And so we, we worry about that and so we don't obey. The people wanted to know how it would work out now. How would this food thing work out now, Jesus? But Jesus tells them to look at him. Because as they look to him, believing in him, obeying his commands, taking him as their bread, they'll be satisfied. That's what he tells us as well. Now, if you look down to verse 34, this draws in conclusion. The people wanted what Jesus offered. Verse 34, they say to him, Sir, Lord, Curie, give us this bread always. And then Jesus' answer in verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Notice some of these words that he uses here. He uses first the word whoever. Just a reminder, no matter what your past, no matter if you wonder if God can forgive that sin, no, wonder, you know, no matter if you've wondered in the past and doubted that God would ever be able to fill you, no matter if you wonder if you'd ever fit in, Jesus said that he's open to all. Whoever comes to me. Then we come to him, Right? We stop eating that junk. We stop believing that the world will satisfy us. We stop believing that we need to satisfy ourselves with that checklist. But believing that Jesus Christ will fill us as we come to him, as we walk in repentance and faith, and trusting and obeying. He says, come to me. Stop trying to make a name for yourself. Come to Jesus for real life. You know, people in this world, they can live satisfied lives without Christ. I, I, I believe, you probably see it around. You know, it, it seems to be, at least. There's, there's a contentment that people do find without God. But in the end, we always have to ask this question as well. Where does it end up? Does it end up empty? And that's maybe why you think and you're here, well, I don't need God to be filled and happy. I'm pretty happy the way that I am. Now, we might be able to look at some relationships. We might be able to look at some things that are going on in your life and some conflicts that, that, that are going on and see, well, maybe you're really trying to find fulfillment from all these other places. Maybe some other people around you would say, you know, it's, um, you know, well, you know we see the challenges that are there. It seems like he's not very fulfilled. But even if you did think that, even if it was possible, even if you could satisfy yourself now in this life, I mean, in the long run, you find out that you filled yourself on junk and garbage. In the end, is it the thing that God is really satisfied with it? Is it the thing that God is really pleased with? Or do you find that you just filled yourself with rebellion and disobedience to God? In the final judgment, you'll see that satisfaction in the world is rebellion against God. Your rejection of his grace and it's your condemnation. You can't have Christ and you can't have the world. But it's helpful to look at Jesus' words in light of communion, in light of the Lord's Supper. We're not, we don't have the Lord's Supper today, 
But as we come, next time we can think about it. Because every time we come to the Lord's table, don't we remember what he did to fill us? The bread reminds us that to give us life, he had to die for us. His body was broken. The cup reminds us that his blood was shed for us. For us to be saved, he had to die. Why? Because we not only tried to fill ourselves with bad food, but we'd done it in rebellion to God. Jesus died to reconcile us to God, to forgive our sins, and, and that cost him his life. He, he gave us life by giving up his own. He was broken so he could make us whole. And yet it was worth it for him to do it. Have you come to Jesus? Have you said, Lord Jesus, fill me? Have you said, Lord Jesus, I've tried to fill myself, but I've come up empty? Have you said, Lord Jesus, forgive me for looking at other places? And I receive you and all that you've done for me. I believe in you as Lord and Savior. Forgive me, fill me with the bread of life, that I be satisfied with your love, that I be satisfied with your glory. Make me that person that you want me to be. Would you receive his love? Would you receive him as Lord and Savior? Would you be filled? Today's the day to come to Christ, to be filled, to know the bread of life. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, forgive us for finding our fulfillment in the world rather than you. God, thank you that you sent Jesus Christ to be the bread of life. Father, that we can know you, that we can know him, and in that relationship, no true fulfillment. Father, we cannot even imagine not hungering sometimes, never thirsting, but that's exactly what you did for us in Jesus Christ. He's, he is that for us, and not only for us, but for all those who would believe in him. Help us to make him known. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll stand together and let's close in worship of our God by singing hymn number.